Hello, Tabernacle. How's everybody doing? First Samuel chapter 10. This is a really fun chapter. This is a, 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 just an amazing story in, in, in my heart as I read through it. The first time I read through it, it's like, nah, it's okay. Second, and then the third, and after a while, it's like, oh, wow, look at what happened here. Look at what happened there. It could take a long time to break it down. We're going to break it down just a little bit tonight into two basic sections, the first half and then the second half of the chapter. As I was titling it, it's like, well, it could be, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. That's to the Israelites. And uh, the next one was hide and seek, which I thought was cool. That's a cool title. Anybody ever play hide-and-seek? Boom, okay. Show of hands. Uh, If you had Britton and Martin playing hide-and-seek, which one would you vote on to win? Everybody for Britton? Raise your hand. Wow, anybody for Martin? Everybody. I vote Britton because he's from Oklahoma, and they cheat. They just do. They're known. It's known all by their cows and cheating. No, I'm kidding. Not at all. But I really think uh, the title is You're It. Because when you play tag, do you ever get caught? Right? They ever find you? I mean, it's not quite like hide-and-seek, but hide-and-seek has that portion in it, too. Suddenly, somebody opens the cupboard you're hiding in, and it's like, you're it. It's like, oh, rats. So the title of this is You're It. You're It. You're It. This is such a... Phenomenal, beautiful story. I'm going to just jump right in. If you've got a, a device, I think it'll be on the screen. If you don't, or you have a Bible, First uh, Samuel chapter 10, this is out of the ESV version. And it says this, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. That's Paul or Saul that he uh, did that to. Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince, underline that word, over his inheritance. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin Azelza. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek, that was last week, are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet with a group of prophets coming down from a high place with harp, tambourine, flute, lyre, before them prophesying. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down to me before Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offering and sacrifice, to sacrifice peace offerings. 
Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him, he's back home now, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And we, when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. It's got to be big news. He went and saw the prophet. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell them anything. Let's pause here for a little bit. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. So, so what is this uh, story about? Well, last week they lost some donkeys and he went on a journey and he met Samuel. And a whole bunch of stuff happened. You can go back and listen to the sermon, read uh, the chapter 9. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool story, too. And this is a, kind of the culmination of that. And he's on his way home, and these groups of things happen. He's told they're going to happen. There's a, there's a prophet. So how do we separate mysticism and palm reading and stars and horoscopes and wise guessers from a prophet. Well, the, the prophet is prophesying something for God. He's prophesying what God's words are. God told this prophet what was going to happen, uh, and the nation of Israel had been crying out, we want a king. We need a king. And part of me is like, why would you want a king? You know, that, that's, I, 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 you know, I'm from America. We don't have kings, and kings like, have the power to behead people. I don't want that, Right? Uh, and they can just declare whatever they declare. Uh, that, that's my perception. I, I realize that's wrong, uh, and that's just an American perspective of a small-minded old man. Anyways, they want a king. And they keep crying out for a king, and so God says, okay, you can have a king in your mind. So why are they asking for a king? Well, they're looking around. They're on Facebook all the time. They're checking out, and they're like, look, Cadillac has a king. Manistee has a king. Ludington has a king. How come we don't have a king? We should all have a king. Do you see all the cool things that they're telling us that kings could do? We need a king. We want to be just like them. They've been the people that have been set apart the entire time that God has been leading them. They've been set apart and different. God has even said, don't intermarry. Don't do that right now. That's not part of who you are. You're, you're, you're my chosen people. Stay separate. Keep my commandments and things will go well for you. And God has fought for them all along. So they want a king. When God is talking to Samuel, and Samuel then translates and talks to Saul, he calls him a prince twice. 
I don't know if you caught that or not. I said, check that out. Underline that. Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people of Israel? And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince. The Lord is emphatically saying, I'm your king. There's only one king. You don't have dual kings. You don't have kings sharing a throne that would have to be a wide throne or skinny kings. It doesn't work. There's too much controversy. There's there's one leader. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody has to lead the people. A prince, on the other hand, has less power. A prince is often foolish and not all that trustworthy, at least the stories I've read. You know, there's the valiant prince, and that's fiction. You know, and then there's the evil princes, and that's usually fiction too. They're just kind of like born into the situation, and they may or may not succeed. But God clearly says he's going to be a prince. Now, Israel believes he's a king. Several things happen here. And I want you to think about if you follow Jesus. I want you to think about if you're thinking about following Jesus sometime or maybe, you know, checking it out. And maybe you've been following for a long time and are in a rut or maybe uh, you've been following for a long time and you've got so combobulated through this whole election season that you kind of forgot what the priorities in life is and who the king really is. But God points out Saul, because in so many ways, Saul is us, and Saul is me. You're going to find out as we go further that he's a very flawed prince king. But God listens to his people. Saul was chosen by God, and there's a parallel. If you follow Christ, so are you. Saul was anointed by the high priest, Samuel, with oil. And it was relatively public because you don't get an entire bottle of oil out of your hair and long beard in a minute. And people saw it. He was anointed as a sign to the people that this was God's chosen man. If you follow Jesus, so are you. The anointing is not with oil. That's still a a thing that can be done. It is very much a part of the New Testament scripture of anointing with oil. But not to be a follower. You're anointed in your new relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's an anointing that comes over us, kind of like Prince King Saul. So maybe we're going to... decide to follow Jesus. Maybe we're going to go, okay, I wonder if this thing is real. I I don't know. Those of you who grew up in the church, I don't know maybe if that's ever been a part of your life or not. (coughs) Excuse me, but for me, as real as a day is long, there was a moment where I was done, 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 had, (coughs) excuse me again, run away and and wanted to stay away and wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I wasn't even looking for a sign. I I, I didn't want a sign. To me, the signs were all just like in the Old Testament. That was it. They, they weren't real anymore. You know, I, I've changed my mind since then because I've seen it so many times, but maybe you 
have asked for a sign about what to do. You know, I, I don't think we should test God, but I've heard people go, well, you know, whether I give the big give or not, I'll flip a coin, which is interesting when you think about the paradox. Okay, that's Saturday night. We'll chill on that one. But we're looking for a sign to do something. So what God does in his magnificence is he tells Samuel, give him this sign, right? Give him this sign that this is real. So he, he, this is what he does. L- listen to this. He's going to meet two men at Rachel's tomb. He's going to meet two men there. And, and, and they're going to speak, but they're going to speak these words. Your father's worried about you. Where have you been? That's what they're going to see. So that, would, to me, would be enough. To him, you're going to go to Patty Cakes, and there's going to be two farmers, and they're going to say, tag, you're it. And then it happened. And I'm going to be blown away. I mean, I, literally, that's just, it's, going to, it's going to rock my world. And I'm not going to think about anything else for quite a while of how did that happen? How did that guy trick me? Because that used to be my old feelings. And now it's like, okay, is this a sign from God or isn't it a sign from God? And it's not about signs for God. It's about the ludicrousness of God's love for his people and his love for us. So here's these two guys. You're going to meet them at Rachel's tomb. That's a very specific place. Then you're going to meet three men. And one of them is going to have three goats. And one of them is going to have three loaves of bread. And the other guy's going to have a skin and wine. And they're going to offer you two of the three loaves, and you're going to take them. That's like a guy is going to meet you at the gas station, and he's going to go in and he's going to buy you your favorite pop. And since he knows you quit smoking, uh, he's going to buy you some gum. And he's going to put $9.71 in your tank. That's how specific. Do you guys get this? This this is hilarious to me. This is just amazing. So so the ludicrousness of this is is here. They come up and they say, hi, here's two breads for you. Right out of a video game. And a group of guys are going to come. So this is a group of guys. You're going to have a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, or a lyre, and they're going to be prophesying. That's a bad sound of band to me, but again, it's incredibly specific. These guys are going to be bringing their musical instruments, and they had come from the high place. That meant they had been worshiping, and, and, and their prophets, this meant seeking God's will and speaking God's heart, hopefully, and they come down and they're prophesying and they've got all of these instruments and then this miraculous thing happens because I'm going to be honest. If I'm walking down the street and let's say, let's say I'm in the mall and it's kind of Christmassy time. Have you ever had like people who like to sing and then they get really close to you and like all of a sudden a group of them start singing at you? I feel so awkward I want to die. I have no love for that, so don't ever do that to me. These guys start singing, and they're playing their instruments, and they're praising God, and they're prophesying now. Um, And I think that Saul, at least what I've seen from him, he's going to be a little bit like me, and he doesn't want that because everybody turns and looks at you. And they're all going, what did you do to to, to get that cute little reward? But instead, the Spirit of the God rushes on him. 
The Spirit of God rushes upon him, and that's different. Sometimes the Spirit of God is upon a person, and, and it's there. But when it rushes, it's like very instantaneous, and it usually doesn't last very long, at least according to everything I've studied. And so for this moment, this man with a changed heart, Saul, who left to first find donkeys and is now on his way back home because he's going to be king, suddenly joins them. Now, he didn't have an instrument. It doesn't say that he sang, but he joined in prophesying. What was he prophesying? The truth of God. That always includes the love and the power and the might. God. I doubt if he was there, follow all the rules. I don't think he was that type of a prophet. I think that there was something that was very beautiful and spontaneous that happened. So he joins in, which is the last thing he expected. It doesn't say what his servant was doing, but his servant was there and was observing everything. So he turns and he leaves and he goes home. And when he's home, somebody comes and asks him, his uncle. You know, in this patriarchal family, the uncle was, you know, pretty close to dad in, in power in that family. And he says, what happened? And Saul lies by omission. Now, that may be because he's incredibly smart, or maybe he's really fearful of what's going to happen to him. And he says, uh, well, we went and saw Samuel, uh, the prophet, and the uncle goes, what, what, what did he say? That's so cool. What, what did you hear from him? What wisdom do you bring home? And it's like, the donkeys are fine. And that was it. You get how fun this story can be? Saul is now a changing man. He's got a new heart. Doesn't mean it's gone all the way to his brain and his actions and his motives and his purity and his love for God the king. It doesn't mean that. He's a changing man. Spirit rushed on him. But that's a temporary situation. It's not a permanent situation. Saul is a man being chased by God himself. So if we go on and back to Scripture in verse 17, it says this. It says, uh, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. These were former slaves with no military uh, might of their own, and God fought for them over and over and over. And he's, he's reminding them, I did this. Verse 19, but today you have rejected your God, rejected our God, who saves you from all of your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So they drew lots. Benjamin was the tribe that the king is going to come from. And he brought the tribe of uh, Benjamin nearby its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And the son of and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So they kept drawing from 
the broad to the little narrow to the little bit more narrow to who's going to be king. Now, God knew this, but it also is a sign to Israel that this was fair. This is how they did it. This is how, how they would bring someone to the forefront or sometimes even make decisions. I've been involved in churches that uh, at times would, would go, we have two really good people that we could put on this board and they're so equal. Let's just, let's draw lots. Let's pray. Let's seek God's face and his will. And let's pray. Let's draw a lot. And out of that will come the next person that sits on this particular group. So he's Saul, the son of Kish. And at that moment, his name is read out loud. Boom, big thing. There, there's a, a, a couple of people here. Like, this is a really large group. And he just faced being with the guys who were all down singing in his face. That was an awkward moment. And he joins them. And now this call comes out. And he does what we probably thought he would do. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Verse 22, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Is there somebody else? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. That means he was a head taller than everyone else. And Samuel said to all of the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all of the people shouted, long live the king. Now, if we were all going to do that together, which we're not, right? But, you know, I can remember watching Robin Hood, the cartoon, Disney. Yeah. Long live the king. I mean, that, I, I can remember at one point as a kid because, I mean, the first movie I ever saw that had color was uh, um, Bambi. Right, And then a little later, I got to see this fox and hound type of a deal in the long lived. And when he said long lived, I stood up. I was watching it on black and white TV, but I stood up. It was on Disney. It was awesome. I wanted, that, I wanted to be British then. Maybe I still do. I don't know. Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. This is the boring part. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each to his own home. So Saul went to his home in Gibeah. And with him, this is important, went some men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. That was Saul. That's a whirlwind election cycle, don't you think? I, I, I really think this is how we should choose presidents from now on. I really do. So Saul is chosen by lot. It's interesting because the tribe of Benjamin is considered an obscure tribe, but they were a small tribe. They weren't the super important tribe they were one of and kind of the left to the side tribe. And out of that tribe, we're going to choose the king. That's got to be a pretty big deal for uh, the tribe of Benjamin. 
the big deal is that we're going to have a king that came from our clan. That's pretty cool. Glad it's not me, but it's from us. So he's chosen by Lot, and then his name is read out loud, and what we really have to remember is he's chosen by God, is who chose him. Okay, this is, just, this, this is a, almost a, a performance for the people so they can get what they ask for. Be careful what you ask for. So this obscure tribe, can you relate to that at all? Like, the problem with this story is it's about a king, and we go, boom, that's not about me, but it's about a man, it's about a human, it's about a person, so it is about us. Do any of you come from an obscure place? I mean, I don't know what, when I first moved to Buckley, it was the most obscure thing I ever saw in my life. I mean, I'm going to be, I, I went to the ice cream store with my kids. I was, my kids were like, Dad, why did we move here? This is terrible. And I'm like, well, let's get ice cream. And we went and the person who was scooping ice cream at the time, I, I got to know her and I love this lady. She's passed now, but I got to know her pretty well. Um, as she's dipping our ice cream, she's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth with an ash about that long, waiting for it to fall into the ice cream. It didn't. But then we went to the, you know, the, the fairgrounds, uh, the, the play place. We went to the Buckley School, and they had a swing set that was falling over. And that was it, a slide that you didn't dare ride on. And we started to eat our ice cream, and it tasted like smoke. <laughs> what am I doing in this obscure place? This is like, if you really want to, this is where they're going to put people. Maybe we're all in witness protection down here. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it is in Manistee, too. I, I, I think. This obscure little place, and that obscure place means that I'm not very important, and people aren't going to expect a lot out of me. Now, we've worked really hard to do our part, and Buckley has worked really hard to do their part to begin to change that, and it's, it's a different dynamic today, and, and there's a pride, a healthy pride in the community. Uh, and, and that's really important, but... Sometimes we use the obscurity as an excuse. You know, and, and the excuse for what? Well, maybe for just keep on keeping on, just the way it is. I mean, I, I realize everybody's life has been flipped upside down with COVID. Yeah, ours too. And there was a little while, it's like, I can't wait to get back to normal. And I'm old enough to realize we're never going to get back to the way it used to be. And I'm okay with that. Um, I, I just am. My king is in charge. And my king is a Saul. My king is Jesus, King Jesus. And so I've got this confidence. And I've also watched him work some miracles through individuals, including those that went before us and gave us a paid building. They had nothing to look forward to. They gave faithfully anyways. And they just did it over. I'm so impressed with that stick and that call that they had to follow God to do whatever was in their power. And look what they did out of this obscure little place. Back in the day when Jim Maker was terrorizing Sunday school teachers. And Harriet was right beside him. Second uh, thing about this that really stood out to me is Paul or Saul is an absolutely huge man. 
He's absolutely huge. There is none like him. So if you take a group of people and they've been together for hundreds and hundreds of years, the size kind of mellows out. It just does. You're going to have a little bit of a skew to the short side and a little bit to the tall and to the thin and to the overweight and everything in between, but overall the average. And it says that there was none like him, and he stood head above everybody. That's mean the tallest people came to hear on him. Um, it was like he was a high school senior playing eighth grade soccer. That's what it was like. Now, he didn't really exhibit anything untoward about pride, unhealthy pride about himself, but it also says that he was pretty darn handsome. So immediately, I think the best thing you could do is once you get chosen, hide. Okay, let's take the tallest, biggest person. That's why I made the joke about Britain and Martin. And if you don't know who Britain and Martin are, just look on our website. I think there's a picture of them standing next to each other somewhere. And they're, they're both amazing men. They're just different sizes. But the biggest guy decides to play hide-and-seek. And so he goes and he plays hide-and-seek. Uh, his name's called, and he sneaks away. So he must have had a duck down. So I don't know how this played out, but it's probably a little hot, a little dusty, and he's looking for something to hide behind. We're in the, you know, in the Middle East. There isn't like the forests of Michigan, and so uh, he doesn't go up and find a tree fort or anything. He goes and he hides amongst the baggage. So there were, you know, wagons and luggage and you know probably foodstuffs and all of that, and that was probably parked in a certain area. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever been to a big event, it's like all the cars get parked there, and then you come to the event. He hid out there. And he thought he did a good job. Now, there's there's interesting little bit here of what the commentators, the really smart people think. And a lot of them like to point out his humility in this. And while he may have had a level of humility, and he did have a changed heart, according to what we're told, I think he was scared to death. I think he hid out of fear. I think he didn't want this job. Nothing that we know about him says he was seeking any level of power, any authority, anything in charge. He was just happy being the tall, handsome guy in his little backwoods town. That was his life. Suddenly, he's going to be pushed to the forefront. Now, if nothing, the Israelites were historians, and they had this oral history, so he knew the stories. He knew the stories. And leadership was a tough gig. It was really hard. And king is going to be even harder. I think he hides. And I think he hides because in numerous moments I've had, I hid too. Has anybody else felt like a strong desire or a push? Something in your heart flipped that you didn't really even know was there, and it's like, yeah, I... I think I could really be helpful in this situation. But there's not really anything in it for me. It would be this thing that I would just, like, volunteer for. And then you hide. Now, we hide in really cool ways. Like, for me, when I hid, uh, I was building a house. And I was hiding in the labor behind building a house. 
because who has time for a church thing when I'm building a house? Do you know this is Northern Michigan? Do you know that there's one thing that's always true? Winter is coming, right? I'm building a house. I got a family. I got to get them in the house. There's no time for church. That's a good hiding technique. When it's come to uh, standing on stage, you know, the man that I still dream about, you know, in my old dreams of actually punching right in the nose is John because I didn't want to be on stage. You want to know why I don't want to be on stage? Because I don't read very well and I don't memorize very well. And I certainly don't know the scriptures very well. I mean, I, I get it. I had this little theology thing growing up as a preacher's kid and I did learn a lot, but not in the typical way. And you know what it means to have to be on stage in a church? You got to wear a tie. And you got to be there every Sunday. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't imagine anything worse. I'm not about making, I, I made a commitment to my wife and my kids. That's it. Church, no. So I hid behind the lack of education. And then I hid behind the fact that I don't speak all that good. You know, we're in this really strange time about COVID. You know, Saul hid, but God found him. So I'm going to give you some odds, and they're not very good. If you're going to play hide-and-seek, and you're going to be the hider, don't pick God as the guy on the other team that's going to come and find you, all right? You're probably going to lose. Now, he gives us free will, but there will be something nagging there that we're going to know about, and, and it just, it's going to lead to a level of discomfort. So, so don't do that. In this really weird time with COVID, what a great, unbelievable, I mean, this was handwritten for all of those looking for excuses and reasons to hide. I mean, who is going to question you about your health? Nobody. What, what if you're afraid of people who wear masks? Or what if you're afraid of people who don't wear masks? Do you know that's still a big controversy here? It, it just is, but what a great reason. There are numerous people that are going, I'm not coming because people wear masks. I'm not coming because people don't wear masks. That's, that's cool. Just stay home. We're online. We, we encourage that part of it, but let's not get into this fight. Because what that means for me is if I get to stay home, it means I don't have to do church anymore, right? And how beautiful is that? I mean, I get to drink coffee, and football comes on at noon, and the weather might be nice. I'm just playing hide-and-seek with God at that point. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I don't. Nobody does. Things have escalated again COVID-wise, and, you know, we're following the situation incredibly closely, and we have everybody's safety in mind first, so please believe that. Please, please, please believe that. If you're not comfortable, I, I support the decision, you know, to be home. But we were going to open kids' ministry two weeks ago. And uh, we've got brand new leaders, two of them, that stepped up for children's ministry, volunteer leaders. And this, there's so many wins at the tabernacle, guys. There's so many things. And I don't want to always be just pointing out the down, but they called and they emailed. They called and they, they didn't go to people's houses because we don't permit that. Um, we, we, want, we want it to 
not, not be that aggressive, but they got virtually no response. And there's people that really want to come, but they need a place for their kids. And we've developed all these protocols of how to be safe. Some of our protocols are more intense than the hospital. You know, like I said, we really take this serious. And I think there's a lot of people hiding right now. And and I know that's part of it for me, too. I I feel really comfortable hiding. And um, regardless of whether I hide or not, because I could be on my way home and, you know, I could be parked somewhere in my car and get hit by an Oklahoma cow and crushed and be dead. God's still got a mission and a plan, and he's got enough people to do what's happening here. But the most fulfilling thing in my life, other than being married to my wife and watching all my kids grow, on an equal par with that has been watching God move here. It's been, I mean, guys, we are so luxuriously blessed. We've experienced growth where the rest of America has experienced death. Even before COVID, we blew away every matrix that there was, and we, I, didn't even, I, don't, I don't want to read a book about another successful church because nobody's had it as good as we have. And now we're in this time, and a little pruning's going to happen, and that's okay, but one of the things that I really think that came out of this sermon for me was what am I hiding from yet? What am I hiding from? Maybe it's nothing at this time. That's really cool. And maybe it's everything at this time. That's not quite so cool. And I don't want this as a guilt trip. A lot of us, you do not want me working with kids. You don't want me in there. They're all going to need therapy. They're all going to know how to sit down and be quiet. That's it. I'm just not gifted that way. But maybe you are. So the question is, is, when we are anointed, our heart is changed. And when our heart is changed, that means we take a new direction. And sometimes, I'm going to tell you, most of the time, that new direction is really uncomfortable. So, I want us to look inside and be satisfied or unsatisfied with the answer. And if you're unsatisfied... I want you to uh, ask God why. And my encouragement has become part of the miracle. So if you bow your heads, Father, thank you for uh, the gift of this day. We thank you that we live in a country where we can meet uh, whenever we want. Father, our country is at such a, a fragile place. I ask for healing. I ask for our fellow believers to pray for all leadership with truth and with love. Father, I I pray that you uh, make yourself known to that entity. And Father, we as just sometimes backwoods, we're gonna find ourselves in some situations that we either get to react to or we get to respond to. And my reactions have been pretty selfish and self-serving and ludicrous. And my response is, is when I see you first, um, Father, you, you give me the privilege of being able to be used for 
bona fide miracles. I ask that our hearts are just at peace over this. If we are hiding, we don't have to be ashamed. But you do encourage us with love to step out just a little bit. Give us that courage in your blessed name. Amen.